All right, guys, get creative. <laughs> what is the most annoying kind of wild shape that you can think of that would piss off your DM? For me, I was thinking brain parasite. I mean, I just wouldn't let my players do that. Because um, it's annoying, right? No, because, like, show it to me in a book. Oh, that's weak, though. But it also specifically says that it has to be a creature that they've seen. A beast that they've seen. Have they seen brain parasites? I, but they did a mind player campaign. That's, like, a maybe there. At best. If they write it into their backstory, maybe. Yeah, but, like, Maybe you'd have cool. to take... What's some, your answer then, Dave? Uh, I don't know. Something that is obviously advantageous for them to use. Just in general. Like, oh, it would be advantageous for them to be an eagle and, like, fly ahead and scout it out. Cool. That sucks. I want them to be, like, a crocodile that just, you know, doesn't work well for them. I, I, I this is why to, you don't play druids. I yeah. want him to suffer. <laughs> Kyle, do you have anything that's super, super annoying? Oh, I don't know. Jellyfish is the first thing that comes to my mind. Jellyfish would be cool in an aquatic campaign. Uh, I'm going to be the deadly platypus with my venomous stinger. and I guess. Sugar glider? <laughs> uh, slow loris. They, they got the little poisonous spikes on their underarms. Do they? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Crazy. It's a mimic. The roundtable Dungeons & Dragons discussion where you never know what you're going to get. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on classes. I'm Dave, and with me today are Adam and Kyle. This episode is called Druids, a lesson in druid dynamics. Well, we're stretching for fucking time. <laughs> yeah, it's been, I mean, we're episode 138. Like, come on, it's, yeah. it's yeah. It, you know, we're, we're working here, okay? <laughs> uh, so we've previously covered the Circle of Land, Circle of the Moon, and Circle of the Shepherd in our first druid episode, which started off with a breakdown of the regular class features and level progression. You can find that episode as well as our other class episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and dozens of other podcast apps. Or you can jump over to YouTube and dig into the entire playlist on classes that we've built there. This episode, though, is going to take us into the pages of Xanathar's Guide to Everything, where we're going to look at the recommendations that the book has for inspiration during character creation, as well as the Circle of Dreams. We'll also be diving over to Tasha's Cauldron of Everything to explore the ever-popular Circle of Spores. Have you guys played druids at all? I played I played a druid in three point five for a minute and a half, and it was a load of fun because we started off at level eighteen, so you had all your shit at that point. Big ass spell list, and it was all like battlefield control back then. There's a lot of that now, but you are still wild shaping and and whatnot sometimes in fifth ed. So yeah, I mean, Kyle, you and I play together on Thursdays. And uh, we've got a guy in our party who does a Circle of the Shepherd. Yeah. Is that really your only dealing with druids? I've played with people that have played druids, but I have never really done it myself. I've always kind of gone for the cleric, because uh, I've always kind of enjoyed their spell lists a little more. Yeah. But I do think they're kind of cool. Fair enough. Uh, before we jump into the uh, circles that we're going to cover today, let's just do a quick breakdown, a refresher on what druids are out of the PHB, like the regular base sure. uh, druid Sounds class. All right. good. As you guys know, uh, hit dice is 1d8. They're proficient with light and medium armor uh, and shields, but none of those are metal. Okay, They can use metal weapons. That's such a weird holdover from previous editions, and I don't know why they do that. There's no freaking limitation on anybody else that's like that. Like your Oath of Ancients Paladin or your Nature Domain Cleric does that. It's just druids. I mean, I kind of always thought it was more like in order to extract these metals from, you know, nature, you have to damage it in some way. Like mining is not a clean operation. 
So I always kind of thought that that was against it. But I mean, they can use metal weapons, right? So Yeah, and oh, I'm sorry, Warlock can have a god, so... Yeah, yeah, fair enough. Uh, speaking of weapons, the ones that they are proficient with are clubs, darts, daggers, javelins, uh, maces, quarterstaff, because every druid loves shillelagh, yep. uh, scimitars, sickles, slings, and spears. That was a tongue twister right there, and I think I made it through real nicely. Nailed it. Real nicely. Real nicely there, yeah. Uh, so they also get an herbalism kit for their tools, because of course they do, and their saving throws are intelligence and wisdom, which I like that. That's nice that they're more of the, the mental stats than the physical. Uh, for their class features, they get druidic, which is just the secret language of druids. It can be used to leave messages, and I think that's kind of the more common side of it. Any druid that comes across these messages automatically sees and understands it. There is no check, it just happens. In the previous episode, I think Terry went off about how you like stack rocks at the you know south facing root of a tree, and that's a druidic message to go this way. And yeah, shit like that, or yeah. something like uh, hanging from a tree made out of twigs, like, like, like Blair a Witch. Shit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Other people can see them with a perception check and realize that they are uh, a, a druidic marker, but they can't understand them unless they can decipher it uh, with magic. Right, so uh, that's pretty much all there is for for their language. Uh, their spell casting, it's wisdom based. Let's not get into that. You guys know how spell casting works. Sure. Right. At this point in the podcast, yes. Uh, yeah. The the only thing that I should mention about it is that uh, their druidic focus, or their spell casting focus, can be the a druidic focus, which is just like a sprig of mistletoe or something like that. Uh, there's a few listed in the adventuring gear section in the PHB. Uh, now they do get. Obviously, wild shape. This is, I mean, the defining feature of druids. They get it at second level, and they get two uses of it per day, and it recharges on a short or long rest. Uh, it takes an action, and it allows them to change into any animal uh, that they have seen before. Now, the beast that you can change into is based on your druid level. So at second level, you can change into a CR one quarter, and it can't be anything that flies or swims. At fourth level, it can be a CR half, and it can't fly. And at 8th level, it can be a CR1, and there are no restrictions. It can fly, it can swim, it can do anything. When you circle of the moon, it sky's the limit on this shit. Like, it blows that stuff right open, but that's the only one that does. Every other druid circle is limited this way. Well, that's kind of neat. The length of time that you can stay in wild shape is equal to half of your druid level uh, rounded down, okay? So in hours. Uh, so, you know, level 10, you get 5 hours, right? Pretty Pretty straightforward. Uh, you can revert to your normal shape using a bonus action, which is a little bit different than going into your animal shape. That takes a, an action, right? Yeah. Uh, and you automatically revert if you fall unconscious, drop to zero hit points, or you die, uh, which, I mean, makes perfect sense. Hmm. While you're transformed, uh, your stats are replaced with the beast's stats. However, you do retain your alignment, personality, saving throw proficiencies, your intelligence, wisdom, and charisma scores, and your skill proficiencies. Uh, you do gain the skills and saves of the beast you change into, but if the beast and your regular form uh, have the same proficiency, but the beast's bonus is higher, you use that one. Make sense? Yep. All right. Uh, you do not gain any legendary or layer actions of the beast that you choose. That's, I think, pretty fair. Although my players would probably disagree with me on that one. That is correct. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, you also do assume the beast's hit dice... When you revert back to your normal form, you return to the number of hit points that you had before you transformed. If you drop to zero while you're in your beast form, when you revert, any extra damage that you take 
actually carries over as well. So if you are in your crocodile form and you have one hit point and you take 10 damage, when you revert, you go back to the normal hit dice or hit points that you started at, minus nine. Okay, mm -hmm. so you still do take that damage. Carries over. It's nice having that extra life. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's almost like a second pool of life, right? Well, keep in mind, too, that if you get healed up while you're still in your crocodile form or whatever, then you're not going to be down that as well. So, like, it is like temporary hit points. Mm -hmm. uh, now, you cannot cast spells when you're in your animal or wild shape, uh, which is rather limiting for the druid. And your ability to speak and use your hands are limited to what your creature can do. That's what we said last episode. Always be a primate so you can cast spells. <laughs> uh, I guess. Can gorillas speak? No, no, no. For somatic components. Because it doesn't take much for you to just get something that says, hey, you don't have to do verbal. What if they learn sign language like the like Coco? It is specifically could they, could they do verbal. Somatic? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, but, I, yeah, but, but they can't do verbal components with their hands? I think that, no, I, I don't think that they can do that, obviously. It's specifically verbal. Every time that you see anything that limits verbal, it's sound-related or breath-related. So, no, it's, it's not language components. It's verbal. Fair enough. Uh, now, when you transform, uh, it does not break concentration. So if you have, like, haste on your guys and you concentration for that, they still get that while you're your beast. Normal rules apply for concentration. If you have already cast it. Right? Yeah. Like you, you have to have previously cast it. Uh, it doesn't prevent you from taking an action that is part of a spell that's already cast either. Say that again. So, for example, take Hex. I know that that's not a druid spell, but take Hex, for example. You cast it, and then in theory you can go into your wild shape form, right? Now, as a bonus action, if whatever creature has Hex on it dies, you can then move Hex over onto another creature. That's a bonus action. While you're in your animal form, you can still do that. Because the spell is still up and active. You just couldn't cast it originally. Yeah, okay. But you can still use it in as it's cast. You can still... Yeah, yeah I get you. Uh, you do retain your class features and your racial features uh, as long as the beast is physically capable of doing it. Uh, but you cannot use special senses like dark vision unless the beast has it as well. That makes, that sense. makes sense. Yeah. When you change into your wild shape, you get to pick what happens to your equipment as well. Whether it falls to the ground, uh, which is specifically in your space. It doesn't drop into a space beside you. Uh, whether it merges into beast form with you or it can continue to be worn. However, your equipment does not change shape or size and it functions as normal. Okay, So if you want to you know, transform into an eagle and you're wearing you know, leather armor, well... No, no, no. It can become a part of your, your body and you can just fly away. Yes, but you can't just... Wear leather armor as an eagle. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> right? So, again, this is why primates are so good. You're, you're not wrong. Uh, also, equipment that merges with you doesn't have any effect until you revert. So, if you yeah. are wearing that armor, you do not gain the benefit of it. Mm -hmm. Okay? Makes sense? Which is why you want, like, a belt of fly and then you turn into an eagle. So, then you get shot out of the sky... You can still fly. Yeah, or feather fall yeah. or something. Like, it's going to help you out. Oh, that gives me some ideas. Yeah. Because, yeah, our druid likes to be a bat often. Yeah. So, huh, interesting. Shoot him out of the sky. I'm going to. I, I, I was going to in that room full of drought. 1d6 yeah. per 10 feet fallen. Yeah, I believe me. I know that one. <laughs> uh, and that's, that's really all there is to Wild Shape. Okay? Yep. The, the next thing that they get is their, uh, their druid circle, which has abilities at 2, 6, 10, and 14th level. Yep. Uh, and, of course, the ability and score improvements, which everybody gets. Then at 18th level, they get Timeless Body. They age slower. For every 10 years that pass, they age one year. 
Nobody cares. Yeah, I didn't really think that was like, yeah. oh my god, no. at 18th level. <gasps> really? But thankfully, you get two other things at, at 18th, okay? Uh, you do get what's called beast spells again at 18th level. Not again. At 18th level, you get beast spells. This allows you to cast druid spells while you are in wild shape, and you can do the somatic and verbal components. However, you can't cast it if you cannot provide the material components for the spell. Right, but in theory, you would still have the components on your body. Wouldn't it be a part of your body? Well, no, I'm thinking like you could you could still have your belt wrapped around your freaking jaguar form. Yeah. Right? And then you'd be able to cast that way. Especially if you have a druidic focus that's something as simple as a necklace or a bracelet. Right? And then you can cast through the druidic focus as well. Yeah, makes sense. Okay. Yeah. The last thing the basic druids get is arch druid at level 20. And this just gives you unlimited wild shape uses per day. It allows you to ignore the verbal and somatic components and material components that don't have a cost or are consumed by the spell. Sure. Make sense? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And this applies to regular and wild shape. The only thing that I've learned from this episode so far is beware of wild cats with jewelry. (laughs) And monkeys can wear leather armor. If you see that cougar and she's just dangling in jewels and whatnot, beware. (laughs) Unless you're a bard. In the Xanathar druid section, uh, it explains or describes uh, druids as being caretakers of not just nature, but of the natural world. Do you know what I mean when I say that? Mm -hmm. Uh, So they don't just take care of the plants and the trees and everything. They also like to make sure that the cycle of life continues. Sometimes that means animals need to die. Sometimes that means forests need to burn. There is a natural cycle. There is a natural world. They're not just looking after what's a part of it. Additionally, they're going to be concerned about what's deep in the heart of mountains. What is under sea? Are the tides rising appropriately? What are the weather patterns? That is a natural world. It is stars above down to the worms and the and the rot in the ground, right? And everything in between because there's a lot of misconception that these guys are just tree-hugging hippies. That's very much not the case. No, it's, it, but it, it could be. It very Yeah, that could be. But we, we get onto this last time. I don't know if you guys... It's been 117 episodes since we've talked about druids. But we landed on the idea of these old, scary, bearded, Celtic friars standing around Stonehenge with like twigs and shit in their beard and bone piercings through their face and body and stuff, chanting up to the old gods. Those are druids too. It's not just the fucking cabbage slipper wearing pointy ears. Yeah, yeah, there's a couple different kinds. Like it's not just someone, you know, against civilization and hates it. It could be someone that's trying to bring civilization more in tune with the natural world. Especially when you come to the place is like Ravnica. Yeah, where it is all civilization, right? Yeah. Actually, that's, that's a really interesting point that requires some pondering. Cause well, isn't that where Spores is from? Was from Ravnica and then reprinted in Tasha's? Uh, I am not actually sure. I am. <laughs> yeah, it was in Ravnica first. Okay. I also imagine Druids like sacrificing in uh, lives... To appease the forests and oh, stimulate growth, like yeah, your your shamans or shamans yeah. for Dan or whatnot, like you 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 know the stereotypical like Aztec ceremony on top of the ziggurat. That's exactly what I'm making. That's a druid, yeah. right? That's not necessarily a warlock. Yeah, and I mean the idea of the natural cycle too, like the the circle of wildfire. Yep, like that's a, that, which is will be the next druid episode, but yeah, 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 that that to me speaks volumes to the like perpetuating the cycle, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Now, most druids are people that are just drawn to nature, right? These are, they, they come to it, haha, naturally. Uh, and as over time, they start to uh, embody nature and uh, they start to kind of be the, become the voice of nature. They become more in tune with it. And this is where they get their magical effects from. It just kind of imbues that power into them. Uh, and they really are linked to nature and the flow of life. However, this power is often kind of looked upon differently by a lot of other people. It's a different kind of magic. It's not just regular throwing spells like sorcerers. It's, it's more life to it. Well, yeah, it's considered divine, which never sat right with me. I wanted there, I always think that there should be four different kinds of magic in D&D. There should be arcane, divine, nature, and shadow. Because we have a bunch of shadow magics that pop up in later editions. Give or take psionic bullshit as well, right? Sure, yeah. But like the idea that these guys are operating on the same spell list as clerics feels weird to me. You know, they're not praying to to the same kinds of gods in the same kind of ways. Yeah, I mean, in fact, a lot of the time, the, the way that they use magic and the magic that they use causes them to be shunned by a lot of people. Like, they really are societal outcasts. Well, a lot of people look at the warlock like that's your, your stereotypical witch. But it isn't. When you think about a whole bunch of people standing around a bonfire, buck-ass naked, chanting to the stars, that's a druid, not a warlock. A warlock is the guy with the shrine in his closet that he doesn't want anyone to see, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, Dan. So, yeah, yeah. Dan, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Except these are not shrines to Kate Beckinsdale. No, I'm pretty sure they're to Terry. No, Dan's are to Kate Beckinsdale. Oh, He's okay. gone on fucking record more than once about that. <laughs> Just make a super cut all of that. I really don't want to have to go revisit that again. I have just gotten through my therapy for the week. <laughs> see, I see druids as divine casters. It makes sense to me, but it's like Mother Earth is their divinity. Yes. Right? Like they are pulling power from the earth kind of thing. Oh, not even rather, kind of. That's what it is. Yeah. 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 But I mean, like rather than uh, cleric who's, you know, praying up high to some god in the sky, it's... The, the ground under their feet. I don't know. No, no, no. You're, you're absolutely right. It's a it's an older, more primal kind of... Uh, like, you're yeah, praying to Gaia, right? Like, yeah. it's that kind of... I, I keep thinking of uh, Final Fantasy The Spirits Within. You know, the, the terrible fucking movie that shouldn't have been Final Fantasy. But it had, like, the Earth was alive and had spirits inside its body and shit. Mm -hmm. That's kind of what I think of as well for some of the weirder druidy thing yeah like this has been around forever like it's it, primordial yeah right? uh now in xanathar's here specifically they do give you a couple of new options to help you kind of flesh out your character a little more uh, they give you the idea of treasured items now these are something that they're going to carry the personal items right uh they could be sacred they don't necessarily have to be magical they could be and the meaning uh, of these are very personal to the druid. So for Dan, it would be a picture of Kate Beckinsale. No, yes. cardboard cutout. Like. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah, with like a hole in it, too. It's gross, guys. Where? Yeah. You know what? Never mind. I don't want to. I don't yeah, want to. No. Uh, they do give you a little D6 table here, and I'm just going to roll to just give a couple of examples because I like rolling dice. Uh, all right, so the first one was a miniature golden sickle handed down to you by your mentor. That pisses me off. The fact that they can't use metal, but a golden sickle is a freaking treasured item. Yeah, they can't wear it. But but but, it, can... but the sickle is is a sign of the harvest, right? That's that's very druidic. I get me. it. Let's get rid of that fucking metal nonsense. That's my issue here. I like that, like the sickle. That's fine. I don't like this this metal thing. 
that was one of the weird limitations they had holdover from previous editions long ago. Like you had to be lawful to be a monk. If it was a miniature wooden sickle, would that sit better with you? Based on these, no. Get rid of the fucking metal. Like that—that's my issue. That's what I said. A miniature. No, get rid of the have to be metal requirements. for a druid, keep the golden sickle. That makes perfect sense, right? I like that. Yeah, I mean, these are supposed to be things that kind of help them with their concept of what is is, you know nature, right? Yes. Uh, Another one, just for example. Uh, is a twig from a meeting tree that stands in the center of your village. I mean, I like that. That gives them a little sense of community uh, mm-hmm. that it allows them to take something from home with them wherever they go. Like these are, I mean, they're called treasure items. I think it's it's right in the name, right? And is yeah. a meeting tree where vulture bees live? Never mind. We'll talk about that. <laughs> <laughs> we'll talk about that later. So while we're still here on treasured items, uh, let's roll dice, roll initiative, and we'll each come up with kind of a new one that we can you know figure out. All right? Sure. Uh, Kyle, you got a 13, I got an 8, Dave got a 6. Yes, first. 6! Right. <laughs> um, a druid treasured item. Ash from a fire. Like a circle of the wildfire druid. from or charcoal every, or something. Yeah, or charcoal from I like really, a first fire or... Yeah, uh, I really like that idea. I mean, I, I know you and I know each other through scouts, and one of the scouting traditions is you take part of a campfire with you when you leave, take some ashes, and add it to the next one. And it's the, the s- symbolism of continuity yeah right that's yeah. a good one i like that one um i was gonna say you know druids traditionally have animal companions not so much in fifth edition but that it's a traditional thing i like the idea of them having the um teeth of their first wolf companion or maybe a jawbone or a skull of a raven that was there when they were growing up that was an, an omen or something that's hanging around their neck or hanging off their quarterstaff or something like that. I want there to be actual polished bone involved so that I, I'm really trying to get away from the from the hippie shit. <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to go a little bit darker here. Oh, fair enough. Uh, I'm going to kind of change it up a little bit. And I mean, for me, when I, you, you guys all know, I spend a lot of time out in the woods Mm. Um, and I, I do relate a lot to the druid, so I'm just going to kind of, you know, like, I have That's a treasured funny. item. You don't look druish. You know. <laughs> uh, I do have items that I take with me when I go out into the woods. I don't carry with them with me all the time, but uh, I do carry, like, I, mean, I, ha- I hunt, right? It's oh. it's well known. You? Yeah, right? I do keep the shells for animals that I've shot, like the, the cartridges from the, the rifle rounds that I shoot. I keep those on my gun stock. After I use them. And that's just kind of to, like I carry that weight with me moving on. Like that, those are treasured items to me. So do you think that he would um, like tattoo maybe the treasured items actually be tattoos of, of the different creatures that he that he's killed? Or the big important ones like this buffalo hunt or yeah, this kind of like I, I killed a dinosaur. Yeah, right? I mean, I, I don't use it when I go and like shoot grouse and stuff like that. I got so many of those I'd never be able to keep up. But, oh, fucking ditch chickens. But, uh, you know, large game, you know, like that just, like, it's, I carry that with me, right? Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Uh, the next part of the section that they give you here to kind of help you flesh out your character is the idea of a guiding aspect, okay? Now, we all know that druids feel a link to the natural world. This could be like a body of water, uh, a particular animal, a kind of tree. I mean, we've got a friend who loves the, uh, what is it, the aspen, I think it is. He's got it. He wants a tattoo of it. Like he's got it on his truck. He has it everywhere. Like a tree? Yeah, like the tree. Mm. Huh. Yeah. Maybe it's a. I forget what kind of tree. It's a redwood, cedar, something like that. Okay. 
It's weird that, I mean, it's weird to me that you, like, identify with a tree, but then I'm thinking of Gondor, and I guess that mm. tracks for fantasy. It's a good thing we watched that yesterday, huh? Yeah, Dave and I sat down with Mieka, who's in town right now, and she'd never seen Lord of the Rings. Sidebar. She'd never seen Lord of the Rings before. Oh, wow. Um, and she declared it uh, boring bullshit, and she <laughs> sat down at a party in college to watch it, and uh, and it was on in the background of a party where everybody's drinking, so of course... That move, those movies are slow. They're not yeah. meant to be, you know, a party Especially movies. the four-hour yeah. extended versions. Yeah, so I made her sit down and watch. She absolutely loved them. It was fantastic. Dave and I shat ourselves laughing as we watched her through the third movie. Just, like, reacting. And she was having none of that of She Lobbed the Spider. Don't yeah. go in there! <laughs> no, no, no. At one point, the orcs lobbed a bunch of uh, severed heads into Gondor oh, yeah. and Mieka came right up off the couch well that's just fucking trifling <laughs> yeah. I literally Dave, what she said I thought Dave was gonna pee that was beautiful I, I, I did you should probably get your couch cleaned god damn <laughs> anyways anyways the guiding aspect the guiding aspect sets an example for the druid to emulate so to kind of explain that a little bit better maybe it's gonna be an oak tree and they want to emulate the strength of an oak so not quite a spirit animal but a spirit force of nature yeah, uh, to give you a couple of the examples off the chart here, uh, oak trees represent strength and vitality. Meditating under an oak fills your body and mind with resolve and fortitude. The sea is a constant churning cauldron of power and chaos. It reminds you that accepting change is necessary to sustain yourself in the world. Bruce Ford, you guys get the idea of that? Yeah. yeah. Uh, let's use the same initiative and come up with one of our own. Kyle. Um, I like the idea of, from Game of Thrones, the drowned god. Okay. Staying, uh, like, where they drown themselves. Oh, uh, you know, what is dead can never die. They drown yeah. themselves, and if they if they come back, they get resuscitated. They yeah. can, they're the king. They embody the ocean and the, the salty brine of the... Oh, and they yeah. were salty. Oh. oh, they were fucking salty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so maybe just, yeah, uh, drinking salt water. As he... Takes a big drink of, yeah. I'm assuming, salt water. Yeah, it's, I am a salty man, so, you know. Um, you should shower more often, but. <laughs> no, thank you. This is. <laughs> oh, natural. Yeah. 100% really Kyle get, Musk. Really <laughs> getting into the druid kind of thing here. Uh, Druids can bathe, by the way. Um, Kyle. <laughs> no, I, I like that. Well, like, just the sip of the, of the sea. What, what kind of. What does that imbue you with? Nothing. It's just uh, strength and vitality. You know, the... Like, we, we all came from the sea, and so this is a... It's just a reminder of, like... like I mean, it said right here, the sea is constant. It's a churning cauldron of power and chaos. There's there's a beauty to that, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it you, gives and takes away, right? Like, yeah. I, I would I would say something... Um, Something along the lines of uh, like birds or feathers or, or maybe even butterflies. Something that flies. The idea of movement and freedom not being bound by civilization and structure yeah. as well. That would be something that, that I can picture a druid meditating on. You know, pulling out the, the staff with like seven or eight different kinds of feathers hanging off of it, right? Dave, what you got? Uh, well, I mean, honestly, as you guys were talking, I was kind of looking at some of the other ones here. And I had already been kind of thinking about this, but they did cover it. And that's, you know, you think about a wolf. Uh, they are strong on their own, but they're stronger as a pack. You know, like that that really speaks to me as well. You know, when I'm out, I rely on the people I'm with uh, to help me achieve my goals. And they depend on me to achieve theirs. You know what would be really cool, actually, for D&D is to focus on the 
um, fan, the fantasy beasts. And I know that I, I'm not talking monstrosities because I, I do want to go stay with the natural world. But we do get things like quippers, which are the D&D version of piranhas. Right. So the idea of you know, when it is time to to kill, I do it fast and ferociously. Right. Or uh, an axe beak, which are giant fucking emu looking things, but with giant vertical bills that can do some real damage. And so you can think about, you know, my, my swift stride and, and uh, powerful um, like headbutt into and you could kind of find the other fantastical beasts that don't exist in the real world. And try to build on that a little bit to add a little bit more flavor to your specific D&D druid. So like an inspiration for maybe what made you become a druid in the first place? Well, it's more about the power that that inspires you to to continue. What do you take inspiration from when you go out into nature, right? Look, I grew up in BC. When I go out in nature and there's no mountains around, that's not really nature to me. Right, that's just this flat space with some trees. Yeah, the prairies weird me out. Yeah, there's too much sky. <laughs> I don't want to see the curvature of the earth in every fucking direction. It makes me feel small. I don't like it. So, like the, I love the mountains. Mountains are something that I like identify with. I would have trouble living in a city without mountains. Mm. Right, and it's not a, a strength thing, but the comfort of being surrounded, or uh, that's how I would flavor it for for a druidic. Um, it's almost like, what do you meditate on to find your inner peace, right? Yeah. Uh, now, you mentioned axe beaks, and I'm not familiar with those. Do their bills open vertically or horizontally? Horizontally. Interesting. I, I think I would change that to vertically just because... Just because it's weird? Yeah. Like it splits down the middle? Yeah, 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 yeah. That is a really creepy... Isn't thought. it? Yeah. Like an emu with a... Nobody can see what you're doing. It just sounds like you're... Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yikes. All right. <laughs> uh, the, the third thing that they give you uh, in Xanathar to help flesh out your character is the idea of a mentor. This is pretty self-explanatory. Uh, it's someone that you seek out or maybe they're coming to find you uh, to instruct you in the ways of nature. Uh, they guide you and teach you the basics of being a druid. Uh, and I mean, this normally starts when you're quite young and it's very vital in shaping your beliefs. It's pretty straightforward. That's what a mentor is. Mm. You guys know what mentors are. Uh, in the table, just to roll a couple, uh, you were tutored by a dryad who watched over a slumbering portal to the abyss. During your training, you were tasked with watching for hidden threats to the world. Your mentor has appeared to you only in visions. You have yet to meet this person, and you are not sure such a person exists in mortal form. I like that. There's a lot as a DM I can do with that. Mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that sounds warlocky. Yeah, if you're cross-classing or something like that. Kyle, anything sticks out to you? I think I'm going to hold my action for you guys. All right. Okay. So I guess I'm first then. Um, for me, a mentor. I mean, do do you go the old the old uh, were-rats? You can do the Ninja Turtles. Or do you go the... That's always the mentor that I think of is Splinter. That's a really good one, actually. Yeah. yeah. Or do you do like an old turtle as well? So you can kind of do the Kung Fu Panda feel to it. Um, was it Kung Fu Panda? Which one was the... No, he had the old... Um, Red Panda, right? Yeah, I've never seen the movie. I haven't either. Okay. Um, anyway, there are a number of different like anthropomorph kind of mentors that, that you could go with. I like the idea of an awakened tree or something that has like been awakened and is still just like stuck in the ground. Just okay. A, do you free it? No, that's not the point. You you show up. You you consistently go up 
you come across a tree that speaks to you in the okay. woods and you continue to come back to it to learn the wisdom of the forest from the tree. Okay, that's kind of cool. I like that. That's interesting. I mean, that gives me a, I mean, to stick with the Lord of the Rings that we watched yesterday, gives me a tree beard. Vibe. Well, if you, you could pick a treant to do that, right? Yeah. But I mean specifically just an awakened tree that, yeah, yeah. that is stuck where they are. And at different times, you've got to like come save them. There's a forest fire. There's a drought. So you're like carrying buckets of water up to, to keep them alive. Shit like that, right? Um, keep the pine beetles out, right? <laughs> and that kind of thing. It's useful to think about it as well, like the idea of the druidic circles. And everybody just seems to kind of gloss over this. But the idea of the circle is that you meet with other druids that have the same kind of basic faith and an understanding about nature that you do. And you combine your powers together like a hag coven. And then you get more understanding. You are actually a part of a community. The druids are not the loners that they were in previous editions. Yeah, that's what the whole circle idea is about. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. But they really just kind of bounce off that idea in 5th edition. It's like a throwaway concept and you just keep moving on. Most players don't think about it that way. So when you think about a mentor, think about maybe the leader of a circle. Who's the person that actually like runs the chants and says, okay, to, we're, go we're all going to gather on the next full moon because we we're going to do this kind of summoning spell or... We've got to all work together to redirect the flow of the river or whatever it is, right? Okay. Uh, I, I like the idea of, I mean, just right out of the Jungle Book, Mowgli goes into the jungle, jungle and gets adopted by the wolves uh, as one of their own. And he, they teach him the way of the jungle. You know, they, they show him what he needs to know in order to survive in this setting. And I mean, that's probably something that I would like to play with uh, if I was going to choose a mentor for a druid. Actual just wolves. Yeah, yeah, just like an animal. Just like they... they. Is that not just a guiding aspect, though? Like a mentor has to teach you... No, because, I mean, the guiding aspect... I, I do suppose that a guiding aspect and a mentor could be similar things. I just feel right? like a, a, a mentor has to have sentience and willpower. But, I mean, wolves could have that. If they're awakened. You know what, I'd be willing to let that happen, though. You know, like if this was a human that ended up out in the woods and got taken in by a blank, you know what? That's A-OK -okay with me. If they were swinging from vines with apes and stuff, I got no problem with that, right? Yeah, I'm not sure that I would have that be a mentor. It does feel like a guiding aspect to me or a totem, yeah. like the raised by wolves kind of feel. I, I, I like where you're going with it, but... What about Baloo? Like the... Had intelligence and language and communicated. All right, let's go with that one then. Jungle Book still. Sure, okay. Because he will teach you the bare necessities of being a druid. That, brilliant. See, <laughs> my genius is just unbounded. So, a werebear. And a werebear? And a werebear. Okay. <laughs> Only you can prevent forest fires. Yeah, well. Unless you're the wildfire druid. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Only you can start wildfires. Um, okay, I'm going to go with the circle of the spore druid. I like the idea of the tree, the talking tree. So you'd have a talking mushroom. <laughs> The mushroom people of Nova Scotia. Yeah. That's not the mushroom I was thinking of, but okay. <laughs> I don't know. It, no, that's more of a guiding aspect, isn't it? Yeah, well, I'm, be, I'm not sure I can be. speak, but go look around. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think eating psychedelic mushrooms would be a guiding aspect. Mm. Oh, that the, that's that's fun, though, for the last one that you said. You're not really sure if they exist or not, 
But if you eat enough peyote, you see them every fucking time. Yeah. <laughs> I would totally play just a stoner druid. Like, he has no actual magic powers. He's just an NPC. Like, as an NPC, he's going to come up and be like, I can totally take you to that side of the mountains. I will be your guide. Just let me eat these mushrooms first. I'll be right back. And with, uh, guys, we better get going because I'm peeking. Fuck. <laughs> Jesus Christ. Did you hit record? Yeah, go ahead. So... As some of you have noticed, obviously, Dan and I launched a bit of an... Oh my god, these commercials. Okay, so we're just going to knock that way back into the background for a second. Because I have two quick things to talk to you about. I'm sure that Dan doesn't know that I'm doing this, and he would be really, really pissed if he found out. So this is just going to be our little secret. Okay, so, first and foremost, like I mentioned a couple of weeks ago... I'm done with pumpkin spice, and you should be too. It's a corporate... Th- you know what? I've ranted about this in the past. Help me boycott the pumpkin spice marketing scheme that plagues Western society every single year around this time of the year. I am absolutely done with it, and you should be too. Down with pumpkin spice. But up with cosmic horror and actual plays. There have been a number of questions recently of people that are digging around. It's getting to that time of year again where they're looking for the cosmic horror, the weird and strange. And they've been digging into the many roads to Amelia, which was our show that we were trying to get off the ground a couple of years ago. And then COVID hit and it all just kind of spiraled out of control on us. So, it's coming back. I wanted you guys to know that. We are going to release, through the second half of October, all of the episodes that we have recorded so far, right up until Halloween. It's been a hell of an undertaking, and we're very proud of what we have. And this is going to be the bridge that takes us across the gap between the Deep Dark of Radiance and our next series with a group of people around the table. Again, The Many Roads to Amelia is based around a number of one-on-one solo stories as we find out what the backstories are for these characters that are all going to come together in the small township of Amelia, Louisiana. They're spread out all over the world. We're going to interact with them. We're going to figure out what the fallout from the Deep Dark of Radiance was. I'm very excited about it. And... We're going to release them kind of out of order and we're going to change things up from the original plan because we are going to make it tighter and better and more fun, hopefully scarier. And you guys can sit there and watch the body count, find out who makes it, who doesn't, and who's left dangling in peril. Anyway, I just wanted to get that out there for everyone. I'm excited. The rest of the people here are excited about it, and we are looking forward to introducing not only some new voices to the podcast, but some brand new characters that hopefully you guys will know and love as well. Anyway, let's get back to the episode. All right, guys, so now let's jump right into the first subclass here. Uh, Why don't you guys roll initiative to determine who goes first? Let's do it. Nine. Eighteen. All right, this is all you, Kyle. I feel left out. I like rolling dice. (laughs) I got a 16, but it means nothing. Yeah, you are a loser. Um, ba, 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 ba. So, the circle of the spore drew it. Tash's quote is, I'm an avid collector of spores, molds, and fungi. My most prized find being sapiens zugmata from the depths of Mount Zogon. I wouldn't want it steering a corpse around and touching my stuff, though. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck was that nonsense? I don't know. And I tried to Google zugmata, but I got nothing. 
You mean Zugtamoy? That's Z U G G T M A T A. Zugtamata. I think that's just crazy bullshit D and D bullshit from uh, from previous editions that hasn't made it in yet. I. It sounds because it's close to Zugtamoy. It sounds like it's like some sort of fungal infection because yeah. Zugtamoy is the demon lord of fungus and fungal infection and that kind of nonsense molds and that kind of gross shit um so how would i describe a circle of the spores druid creepy definitely creepy it's basically a druid necromancer where most druids are concerned with life and the continuation of it these are intrigued by death and decay they find beauty in the ending of life cycles and how they begin and feed new ones basically taking a druid's generally antisocial behavior and ramping it up to a whole new level um, unlike most druids, though, they aren't necessarily uh, against undeath, as they view it as just another part of the circle of life, uh, so long as it's not being used to cheat death permanently. Basically, zombie's good, lich is bad. Sure, okay. Yeah. Uh, their expended spell list uh, consists of chill touch at level 2, blindness and deafness, and gentle repose at level 3, animate dead and gaseous form at level 5, Blight and Confusion at level 7, and Cloud Kill and Contagion at ninth level. Which I think is a pretty well-chosen list and really on brand. It, with the exception of Gentle Repose, it is essentially the terrible things that eating the wrong mushroom can do to you. Yeah. Uh, for features, they get Halo of the Spores and Symbiotic Entity at second level. Uh, Halo of the Spores essentially works like an aura kind of thing. Uh, you're surrounded by an invisible cloud of spores that you can sick on a creature uh, as a reaction if it either moves within 10 feet of you or starts its turn there. That creature then has to make a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC, where it takes 1d4 necrotic damage, which goes up to 1d6 at level 6, 1d8 at level 10, and 1d10 at level 14. Basically, it's like a free attack of opportunity uh, with a 10-foot reach. Which okay. is a pretty sick ability uh, that gets ramped up when you use uh, Symbiotic Entity, uh, which is this subclass's alternate to Wild Shape. Uh, rather than changing form, you instead awaken these spores that surround you, gaining four temporary hit points for every level of the Circle of Spore Druid you have, uh, doubling the damage dice from Halo of the Spores ability, and dealing an extra 1d6 necrotic damage uh, to melee targets. Uh, this benefit lasts 10 minutes or until you lose all temporary hit points uh, or use Wild Shape again. Uh, for some reason, this ability makes me think of uh, Popeye the Sailor Man eating spinach, and I can't get that mental image out of my head. <laughs> uh, but that aside, I think this is an insanely powerful ability, especially at second level. Uh, if you add in Shillelagh, uh, you are wrecking shit. Like You are potentially dealing 22 damage, up to 22 damage if you're using, uh, yeah, with Shillelagh. That's pretty good for second level. Yeah, right? They also get Fungal Infestation at level 6, which allows you to use your reaction to animate the corpse of a small or medium humanoid or beast that died within 10 feet of you, making it rise from the grave with one hit point for one hour. Uh, it gets the zombie stat lock, and its turn follows yours. And the only action it can take is the attack action, uh, getting one melee strike. You can use this feature a number of times up to your wisdom modifier, uh, getting all uses back after a long rest. Uh, reaching level 10 gets you spreading spores, which... Well, hold on, hold on a sec. Fungal infestation. You get to control the zombie, right? Yeah. 
Okay, that's that's a whole lot different. And you just raise the shit and send it out into the world. <laughs> How many can you have at once at, say, second level? Uh, well, you don't get it until sixth level. Sorry, sixth level. Yeah. All right, but it, How many do you get? Like, you said uh, you get to use it a number of times equal to your wisdom modifier, right? Yeah. So, yeah, but if your wisdom is five, you can have five of them going at the same time? I think so. Yeah, don't see why not. Well, shit. <laughs> um, but I mean, with one hit point, it's not exactly. Yeah, but you can heal it up from there, right? You should also with the zombie stat block. They can. They have undead fortitude. Yeah. So the, oh, every time that they drop to zero, they have a chance to pop back up again. Yeah. Right. So this would be really good for guides specifically. You want a guide to get you further into wherever you're going. You kill the whatever it is, and then raise it and say, "Okay, lead us in." Yeah. It's pretty fun. Uh, also, humanoids. You can do this to fucking like your your neighbor. Yeah. Right? Hey, can, can uh can I see what's in your basement? No, dead, raised. Let me into your basement. Yeah. <laughs> and it's great because it doesn't even use a full action. It's just a reaction. So you can do it on someone else's turn. So if you one of your party members dies, just what's the range of it? Raise them back. Uh, ten feet. Fuck, that's all right. Yeah, yeah that's okay, isn't it? Yeah. And that's at yeah. level six? That's a level six. Uh, all right. Mm. I'm starting to see why people like these spore druids. Yeah. Uh, once you get to level 10, you get spreading spores, which basically turns your halo of spores ability into a ranged attack, allowing you to send it up to 30 feet for one minute as a bonus action uh, when your symbiotic entity ability is active. Uh, creating a 10-foot cube filled with the deadly necrotic spores. If a creature moves into the cube or starts its turn there, it must make a constitution saving throw against your spell save DC, um, like the regular Hail of Spores ability. The spores disappear early if you either dismiss them as a bonus action or your symbiotic entity ability is no longer active. Also, while using this, um, you can't use your Halo of the Spores ability as a reaction. Finally, uh, spore druids get the fungal body ability at level 14. So basically the spores have infected you and uh, become part of your physiology, um, um, making you immune to being blinded, deafened, poisoned, or frightened. And critical hits against you only count as normal unless you're incapacitated. Which well, is that's, that's nice. Yeah, yeah, that's pretty crazy. At level 14 too, like things that are going to hit you are going to hit you with tons of fucking dice. That level of protection is really helpful. Yeah. There's not a whole lot. What is it? Blinded, deafened, poisoned, or frightened. There's a lot of poison at high levels. You, you do see poison damage because a lot of demons and shit have, have that. Yeah. Um, and like you run into some nasty undead. Frightened is a thing. Usually though, all you have to do is pass the save in your next turn to get past frightened. Yeah. But you don't really run into blinded and deafened that often. No. But I mean, it's nice to have it. It's nice to have it. It's yeah. a little weak. Honestly, they tend to front load the subclasses so that people multi-class into them. Hmm. And they do, and they tend to go a little bit weaker on the later subclass features because most people never play outside of level 12, right? Yeah. Or above that. Or if they do, they've multi-classed over to something else as well to get a good synergy. So they're never going to get a 14th level, you know, um, ability. So that doesn't, doesn't bother. It's a little weak, but I don't hate it. Yeah. It tends to be the fifth ed method. It's, yeah, I don't know. I, I like how all the abilities kind of play off each other. Yeah. Right? Like, they're very interconnected. 
Um, but I don't know, like in the campaign that we're doing right now, we deal with a lot of poison damage. Yeah, it's because you guys have been fighting a lot of drow, though. Yeah. And, but I mean, the poisoned condition has come up a lot as well. We recently ran into some chules. Mm-hmm. And I mean, they have the poisoned condition, which was absolutely wonderful. When How did that work out for you, Kyle? Uh, not great. Yeah, paralyzed for a while? Yeah, later. paralyzed for the big bad fight. Yeah, with the big fight with the Abolith. Yeah. yeah. Well, that's Dungeon of the Mad Mage. You're in the Underdark, right? Yeah. Or close enough to it. And strangely enough, the druid was poisoned on the island in the middle. Yeah. <laughs> so the yeah, the poison condition has been pretty annoying. So I think it would be pretty good. But uh, in other words, this subclass is really just hateful sentient mushroom. That's <laughs> what I think. <laughs> Murder shroom. Yeah, I feel like it was designed uh, for when you want to play a druid in an evil campaign. I think this would be an excellent one to do. I don't think I don't think it necessarily has to be evil. It could just be weird. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, they but give I, you a lot of options for what kind of mushrooms are kicking around in the world as well. When we got down to level four mm-hmm. on the Mad Mage, uh, there was like a shit ton of, of different mushrooms. Like there was, you know, seven or eight that have different properties that do different things that, you know, like there, there is a there is a room, like there is plenty of room for this side of things uh, in D&D. Like it's, it's great. I really like the idea of the gnome, the NPC gnome, Circle of Spores Druid living among the Myconids. Yeah, I didn't even thought about the Myconids. That's a that's a good point, yeah. Veggie pygmies are fungus creatures too, so that's another one. They could be your mentors. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The the uh, Myconid Sovereign could totally be your mentor. That's really fucked up and weird. If you know anything about Myconids, that's, that's bizarre, but that'd be really interesting. Really flavorful. Mm-hmm. I am not familiar with the Myconids. Myconids are mushroom people that have like big-ass spore attacks. That like infect people and turn you into zombies essentially. Okay. You become a spore servant. Yeah. Um, and oh. you do whatever they want you to do. Yeah. Do not fail your saves against Myconids. So, um, but they have these big, like almost a hive mind like colony with one sovereign in the middle that kind of runs everything. So, okay. Kind of like a, yeah, like a hive mind kind of deal. Uh, I can't remember if they have a hive mind off the top of my head, but I want to say yes. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, they're in the Underdark, but, and there's a fuck ton of them. If you're playing Mad Mage, which you are, you'll probably run into Mike and it's at some point. All right. Oh, I'm sure. <laughs> Don't look them up. I won't. <laughs> uh, but I know exactly where they got the inspiration for this. There was that episode of Blue Planet where the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. The Othiocordyceps Othio unilateralis. Uh, which is a mushroom that infects ants, taking over their body, making them climb high up into trees before sprouting, and then sending out spores to infect more ants to do the exact same thing. That's super gross. Yeah, it is creepy. That it is, is terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Have you guys noticed that ants are always getting infected by things? Like, there's a wasp that does that to ants too, and there's a parasite that gets into ants where they just like take, they kill the ant and they just take over the body and use it for shit. Yeah. I feel like ants are just the cars. The perfect the zombie shell. Yeah, kind of, right? I want to watch Honey, I Shrunk the Kids again. Yeah. yeah, but somebody watched that and thought, yes, I want to be that mushroom. And that's where they got this idea from. I've often thought that. Yeah. <laughs> uh, all right, guys. Uh, so let's roll initiative here and talk about some of the strengths of the subclasses. All right? I got a nine. I also got a nine. No, no you got a six. six. That's a six. I got an eight. You got uh, all right. I mean, I think we've we've really talked about a lot of the strengths of this already. You know, it's it's the idea of uh, having these guys bring up 
uh, your party members, I mean, as zombies. I mean, they probably won't like that. No, they won't. Or, uh, or you know, other small animals. You know, you've got a, a small animal, say, you've come across a wolf or something. Uh, you kill it, and now all of a sudden you bring it back, and it fights with you for a while. Like, that, that to me... Uh, is the strength here. It allows you to have this undead animal companion or summoned animal uh, that, that, you know, just kind of... It, it changes the, the whole party dynamic. It changes the action economy by adding all of these other creatures into it. And I think that's really where the strength lies in these guys. Oh, yeah. I want to say, you can turn into an, an animal. You can use a wild shape and you can't cast spells, but you can still use class features. So you can turn into a kind of a beefy, you know, thing that can go to your bear level of wild shape, get in there. And then you hit with this, this halo of spores around. So that's, it's really good punishment for anything that wants to get into melee combat with you. Mm. That I think is a strength here. The consistent minimum 1d4 necrotic damage that you were doing to everybody within 10 feet if they enter or they start their turn there it's not everybody it's you can attack with a reaction right so you can only choose one creature per round yeah but but the point is that everybody is technically in danger right? oh yeah and 10 feet for a reaction too like that's i mean how often big. do we come across things that have 10 foot reach not very often, but they are deadly when you do. Yeah. Yeah. So I like the idea of you standing behind the barbarian, who's just your meat shield, as you just sit there and little spores are dropping onto the enemy who can't reach you. Mm-hmm. And they're just taking all of this fucking damage. Right. And remember, it's it's a 10 foot cube too, right? So you can be up on the roof and small creatures can't get to you, hitting them with this over and over again, right? Like yeah. the, there are some real options if you think 3D. Flying creatures now entering your space. They're not doing flyby attacks so well, right? Yeah. This is this is really useful to punish, especially at low levels when everything's got very few hit points. You're going to start eating away at things relatively quickly. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's just 1d4. You're going to be doing roughly two and a half points of damage on average, but you are doing consistently that two and a half points of damage. Yeah. Well, I really like the fact that it's symbiotic entity, right? Because it doubles your damage dice for the Halo of the Spore, so you're dealing 2d4 at level 2. And then you well, also Which is get... when you get it, at, at, at level 2, right? Yeah. So this isn't... If you don't wild shape like I said, right? Yeah. you got to use your wild shape for that instead. I, I Yeah, I don't even think I would be using wild shape all that often. Because, I mean, you get the temporary hit points from it as well. Right? And then you also get 1d6 necrotic damage, so... But can you imagine turning into a fucking spider and getting down into a crack in the dungeon wall where nothing can get to you and you kick in the spores and you're just sitting there doing damage round after round after round. That guard that's guarding the door and you are sitting underneath the door in the crack under the door just murdering that guard. He's like... (laughs) What is that thing? That, oh my god! And then he drops from the necrotic damage, mm-hmm. right? right? Like, there's some really useful ways to deal with this almost aura effect that you have, which I think is awesome. And if you don't like it, like you said, you bump up that that um, synergy with that other ability to do even more damage, just like in combat. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Ari, are there any potential oversights or power imbalances you guys feel? Uh, I think that being that powerful at sixth level. Like, man, not everything gets to be that powerful. I think that this will probably be more powerful at the beginning and not so powerful later on, which we already kind of spoke about. Yeah, it'll cool off. But, uh, I mean, I think that it is going to kind of make your DM think a little bit more 
uh, you know, when when you get that sixth level ability, like that's this is so much more powerful than the average druid. I mean, your circle of land druid and your circle of the moon druid are, are pretty good. I haven't looked into the ones in Tashes yet, but this eclipses Shepherd and Dreams by a damn sight, right? Like this is powerful. This is Alpha Tier Druid subclass. Yeah. Um. So I think that my my issue here. With the imbalance is the fact that this guy gets an expended spell list and every druid that was printed before him didn't, right? There is no expanded spell list for anyone else. So um, before Tashes came out, we didn't get that shit, which is a crime. Like the Xanathars and the Player's Handbook subclasses needed that. And I really want there to be a, a retroactive fix towards that, right? Yeah. Right. This guy is powerful without like that expanded spell list. In the first place, right? Yeah. So it's even more powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Don't, yeah. Those spells do not fuck around, right? Like, no. anime dead, you know, using that. You get up to five more zombies on top of your... Well, when I, I'm going to go through Circle of Dreams in a, in a couple of minutes here. You will you will hear, there's no expanded spell is there, and it feels weak. Yeah. And that makes a difference. Especially because most expanded spell lists are movement and combat based, right? Yeah. Yeah, fair enough. Yeah, that's a good point. Uh, do you guys have any insights into role playing the standard base level of the subclass? I mean, for me, this I mean happens at second levels when you pick your circle. So you've only been adventuring for a short time, and I like the idea of going somewhere and becoming infected with this. Uh, I'm getting some real Last of Us vibes with the clickers going on, like that. Do you guys know what I mean by that? Yeah. Right, like it's just you go in. Maybe you were attacked by something, and you didn't really like. Take control. Like, like myconids or something. Yeah, right? Something fungal. Uh, you know, athlete's foot, right? And it just has a lasting impression on you. And you know what? Maybe you kind of liked it a little bit. And you wanted to learn more. And you've just kind of, you know, been exposed to it. And then really started to follow it. Almost turned. I'm going to tell you this right now. The stat that I'm tanking here is charisma. Yeah. Oh, hell yeah. yeah. This is not the face of your party. This guy yeah. is the spleen from Mystery Man. Gross. <laughs> right? Like, that is the level of character that I'm picturing with this. This guy always has, has snot on his upper lip. Right? Okay. That is the kind of guy you're dealing with here. Does It's not like he's never he doesn't brush his teeth. It's that he's never brushed his teeth. Yeah. Right? Like, it's that kind of of gross. The, sometimes the mushrooms he eats are the ones he picks off himself. Right? Oh. Yeah. <laughs> There's just a smell of mildew about him all the time. I wants I, to suckle on your athlete's foot. Yeah. Well, oh. I wasn't gonna go. I was thinking like he, he was walking around with a bag, like his backpack, his burlap, and it started to rot. And there are little mushrooms, so he's like picking it off of his backpack. I didn't mean like growing out of his armpits, but I do now. But I mean, yeah. like, could. good God! That's... I mean, yeah, it is part of his physiology, right? Is like growing. He is part mushroom, right? Like. It's like he is, one of his parents was a Mykonid. <laughs> That's no, weird. No, no, no. That, if he was a sorcerer, that would be the, that would be the case. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Just imagine the bard walking. You know what? Never mind. Never mind. <laughs> Kyle, any, any role-playing insights? Um, yeah, you know, I, I agree with you. I don't think he is going to be the face of the party. I almost don't think he would be, like, welcomed a lot of places. I think he would be looked upon with a little bit of fear and trepidation, right? A yeah. disgust as well. You, you want to know something? You're never going to find a high elf circle of spores druid. Yeah. That shit is not going to happen. The, the was it, Leonin that are like always cleaning themselves and shit? Not going to be a circle of spores druid. Mm -hmm. Right. That's, 
you, you kind of know what you're getting into with the you're going to be a goblin. Yeah. You're going to be a, a dark or a deep gnome, yeah. right? Like right. one of these gross, small, earthy kind of. I can picture a dwarf doing yeah. this, right. right? I don't imagine him like dirty, but he is carries himself very differently, right? Like it's he'd have a strange speech pattern, and I also like the idea of him crawling on all fours like Golem, even though he doesn't have to, just to keep his face low to the ground, hunting for the next mushroom or moss or, yeah. or fungus that he can find. Oh, oh gross! Yeah, love it. Oh, uh, you know what would be cool is for uh, his guiding aspect is... Have you ever seen the ring of mushrooms that grows around a corpse? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah from yeah. a buried corpse? Like, that's where he would meditate. Oh, what the shit is that called? Fairy circle, isn't it? Something like that? It's something like that, yeah. Yeah, yeah that's cool. I like that. You could tie it to fate as well. Yeah. And the, the unseelie court. I like yeah. that. Yeah. Um, okay, so... Clearly with druids, you love them or you hate them. There's not a whole lot of, like, in-between. Last druid episode, we fucking ripped into druids. Terry and Dan had no tolerance for these guys whatsoever. And like I said, it's been well over two years since we've touched on them. Because every time they, they come around, we bump it to do something we find a little bit more interesting. But as time keeps growing, I I keep looking at this and going... Druid is definitely on my list of something that I want to try out. I don't want to do low-level Druid. I don't want to do high-level Druid because I don't think the Wild Shape is going to support you. A level 3 bear is not going to help me at, like, level 19, right? Yeah. I'm thinking more movement and stealth more than anything else at that point because you're not going to get into combat with them. You're and just a spellcaster. And the hit point pool. Yeah, but even then... The, yeah, you're not getting a lot. No, the shit at that point is it's just going to knock you right out. So... Yeah. Um, I got to say, I... The... Druids they have in Tasha are pretty good. Like that one yeah. in the Wildfire Druid, I think that one sounds like it'd be really fun to play as well. I think the Shepherd could be powerful too if it didn't totally eat up the action economy. Yeah, all right. Ugh, yeah, tell me about it. <laughs> yeah, Gubby with his like seven wolves. Oh yeah, and like a handful of bears. And oh yeah, by the way, I'm a crocodile. Yeah. Like, ugh. Well, I just, I just wanted to, to take a second and say... Yes, we ripped on them pretty hard the last episode. I am changing my mind slowly. These guys and sorcerers. Did not give a fuck about sorcerers. Up until these new Tash's subclasses started to come out. And it's not that they're more powerful. It's that they're more flavorful now. Mm. Um, and I'm just tired of the, the stereotype on some of these subclasses. So just, I'm throwing it out there. Break that hippie bullshit mentality about druids. And that... Oh, I'm here to save the forest. Bitch, be an Arctic druid. Be a desert druid. Be an ocean druid. Yeah. Do something else. Be something oh, yeah, different. Like some sort of like Triton ocean druid. Yeah, absolutely. Do we have a player's handbook kicking around anywhere? Yeah. Here we go. Hold on, I got one. Yeah, I think that also the Tasha's druids do help move away from that tired kind of trope. Of, of the forest yeah. druid. Yeah, but I mean... Peace and love, man. It's... Listed out in the circle of land, you have Arctic, coast, desert, forest, grassland, mountain, swamp, and underdark. But take it beyond that. Go marshes. Go bogs. Go riverlands. No. Or, as opposed to... Um, like, there's, there's no aquatic option here. And I feel like there should be. You should have an, an aquatic druid. A titan, or a triton, should be a druid. As opposed to, say, a sorcerer, or a warlock, or a wizard. I just... 
I really want people to start thinking outside the box with this. The same way that I don't like the sneaky rogue is the only kind of rogue out there. But they build their subclasses to be a swashbuckler, an inquisitive, a whatever, whatever, right? So they're showing you that you can be other things. They don't do that with druids so much. It still feels foresty to a degree. And we can really break that mold. Ah. <laughs> uh, just a reminder, guys, you can find us on uh, Instagram, Facebook, and at r slash it's a mimic on Reddit. Uh, if you have any questions or if there's anything you'd like to hear on the show, please feel free to send us a message at info at it's a mimic dot com. Uh, you can also send us mailbag questions. For later? Yep, uh, at the for later. <laughs> I, uh, it's not for now. I can tell yeah, you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> there's a thread on um, Reddit and the subreddit there that's always active for people to go in and ask questions. And of course, we're checking all the mailboxes Should too. Probably sticky that one to the top. It is. There you go. See. Thanks for being on Reddit, there, Dave. Yeah, I've done it a couple times. Okay, so I want to get into the the last portion here. Um, which is the Circle of Dreams. When I first thought of these, I was not really thrilled with the idea of, oh, Circle of Dreams, wank, wank, who gives a shit, right? But these aren't the astral divination dreamy type characters that I was originally thinking of. They're actually protectors and guardians that utilize powers from the Feywild to offer dreamlike wonders and aid to tired travelers. They blur the lines between reality and dreams and aim to raise the spirits of those around them. As much as yours leaned evil, this leans actually kind of good. Mm. At second level, you get a subclass feature called Bomb of the Summer Court. That's not a bomb. It's not B-O-M-B. It's B-A-L-M. So, of the Summer Court. This is essentially a pool of D6s equal to your Druid level that you can use to heal others. In my opinion, this actually dwarfs Lay on Hands. Because it's a bonus action to use, the range is 120 feet, assuming that you can see the target. And it includes both hit point restoration and temporary hit points. You choose how many of the D6s in your pool you want to use um, to heal your target up to half of your Druid level at a time. So you get this at second level, so you get two D6s. You can do one D6 twice, right? And yeah. so that's kind of the, the idea here. Then you roll them and you heal the target for whatever you roll. But when you're done, you also count how many dice you rolled and give them that many temporary hit points. Okay. Okay. So this, if you this, choose two creatures... Well, you can only choose one at a time. So the idea is, um, as a bonus action, I'm level 14. As a bonus action, uh, I'm going to roll 7d6, up to 7d6, to heal that guy 120 feet away. And then whatever I roll, he gets. And then, because I rolled 7 dice, he gets an additional 7 temporary hit points on top of that. Okay. And I can do it again next turn. Yeah. This recharges after a long rest, which I'm comfortable with. That's... It's pretty powerful yeah. for the fact that you get it at second level. Mm-hmm. Sixth level gives you Hearth of Moonlight and Shadow. During a short or long rest, you summon the powers of the Gloaming Court to create a 30-foot radius sphere of total cover. While you're inside the sphere, you and your allies get plus five bonuses to stealth and perception checks, and light from open flames is not visible from outside. Neat. I like that. Yeah. So... Your light cantrip will be, your um, your lantern will be. Yeah, but when you rest for the night and you settle down and you have your fire going, exactly. you're not attracting things. You're not attracting things from Weathertop like the hobbits did, right? Well, I just full Lord of the Rings today. It's yeah. on my brain, man. <laughs> so the sphere vanishes when the rest um, that you have taken is over, right? Or when you leave it. So it's kind of like a diet version of Lehman's Tiny Hut. Yeah. Or Lehman's Tiny Hut 
light, cal- calorie-free. I don't know. Tiny I mean, Hut Zero. Yeah. <laughs> Without the protection. Yeah, Li- Liam and Max. Yeah. yeah, right. Like, things can enter into it. They just won't know that you're there. And it looks opaque and gives you yeah. total cover, right? So. Yeah. See, I think of it more like a cherry Liam's Tiny Hut, right? Because Liam's Tiny Hut, like Dave did this to us once, where the, the guys knew we were there and they just waited outside and, you know, Got a fire ready outside yeah. of Liam's yeah, Tiny Hut. Yeah, they built a fire yeah. inside the door. <laughs> oh, and just my, my favorite thing to do is cave in. Like, oh, we're going to do this in the dungeon? Finally, I'm cave in the ceiling. Yeah. Yeah. Good luck. <laughs> this is going to go away and you're all going to take bludgeoning We're going to hide in our hut. All right, they're going to light it on fire and close the door with you in the room. All right, mm-hmm. what are you doing now? Where's the nearest river? Can I flood this hut? Right? Yeah. Like, so. So if they, they can't do that if they don't know you're there. Exactly. Which is, uh, it almost makes it better. It doesn't say that it's camouflage, it just says it provides total cover. Mm. But it's strongly implied that you are camouflaged in there with the stealth and perception checks. Um, also, it provides total cover for you and your party inside. It says nothing about whether or not you can see out of it. So I would say you can. There's nothing that says you can't. Yeah, no. I would probably let them flavor it so that it looks like a giant rock from outside. Sure. Right? Just yeah. give them that opportunity. Like, it's something that is visible, but it's it's you don't really know what it is. And again, you can see out if it does the same. Yeah, it's like one of those those two way mirrors, right? Yeah, mm. I think a two way mirror is just a window. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> God damn it, Kyle! All right. So, whereas at sixth level you got a power that was similar to Lehman's tiny hut, your tenth level power is similar to Misty's step. But again, it's a little bit better. This feature is called Hidden Paths, and it's flavored to imply that you're walking fey pathways that mortals can't comprehend, but you're really just using a bonus action to teleport 60 feet into an unoccupied space that you can see. It has a little more utility than Misty Step, though, because instead you can decide to use an action to send one willing creature that you touch up to 30 feet away. So as a bonus action, I can go 60, or as an action, you can go 30. You get to do this a number of times equal to your Wisdom modifier, and it recharges on a long rest. At 10th level, useful. Yeah. If, mm-hmm. I, if I'm going down this path anyway, I'll be happy to get that. I don't think I'm going after the 14th level one, though. At 14th level, you get Walker in Dreams, which you get to use once per long rest. You essentially get to use one of three spells without burning a spell slot. Dream, which if you're not familiar with it, lets you visit someone else's dreams to pass messages hold conversations, and you can actually warp the dream around them to influence them. Then there is scrying, which is just magically spying on somebody, or teleportation circle. But the thing about this teleportation circle, uh, specifically for this power, is it makes a portal to the place where you last had your long rest on this plane. Okay. Okay. So it's like Town Portal Scroll from Diablo 2. Yeah. yeah. Right? And it opens up the portal, and you can go back and forth through it as the spell allows you to do. If you've never had a long rest on this plane before, then it just fizzles, but it doesn't use up the ability. Okay. Okay. All right. That seems all moderately useful for some high-level campaigns. Like, I'm not going after that as a, as a big ability, but as someone who just finished playing uh, in a huge like level 20 campaign, those guys could have used Scry. They could have used Teleportation Circle to get the fuck out more than once. And the ability to commune with other people anywhere on the plane of existence with them and infect their minds and get into it, that would have been helpful. That's your your tier four level shit. But at that point, you're thinking outside the box. That really depends on the campaign you're in yeah. and what your DM is letting you do. I this feel like sounds... there's better things you could do with it. Sorry. Yeah. I, I think it sounds 
really useful if you were doing a roleplay heavy campaign. Yeah. Like this is something you would use. If you're not going combat to combat to combat, which is why I say tier four, you're not going combat, combat to combat, right? Mm -hmm. You have one combat a day and the rest of it's all role-playing and investigation and figuring out the mystery, evacuate the city, that kind of stuff. This would be useful. I'm going to scry and find out what the big bad evil guy is about to do. Mm -hmm. And then tomorrow I'm going to get in his fucking head and be like, don't fucking do it. Right. And then, and then I will teleport away. (laughs) Um, But I think there's a lot of good flavor in this class that I really like, but mechanically it's kind of weak. It's good for that initial first dip, but a druid based on fey bullshit should be a little weirder and a little more powerful if you ask me. Yeah, fair. Um, Regardless, I do think that this is a fun and useful dip in um, for at least two levels. If you want to multi-class into a healer that isn't a cleric or a paladin, or doesn't have an angel flavor to it, which is Celestial Warlock and the whatever, the Sorcerer, the Divine Soul Sorcerer, all that shit. It's all angely if you want to be healy. This one isn't. This is Fae, mm-hmm. which I really like. Um, it's definitely built to be a support caster, but it doesn't have the expanded spell list. That would make this better. If it, you would automatically get Fairy Fire and Dancing Lights and... Yeah, but you get yeah. Dreams and Teleportation Circle already, like... You do get spells. At 14th level, yeah. right? The expanded spell list is at levels 1, 3, 5, 7, and 9. Sure. Right? There's no there's no um, charm stuff in here. Which I feel like when you're dealing with the Feywild, there should be a little bit of... You should get sleep at 3rd level to be able to put people to sleep. Just, yeah. I mean, right. dreams. It's right in there. Right. Think, how, think about that powerful combination if you actually had that, right? Yeah. It would be good if they had almost a Aberrant Minds kind of yeah. expanded spell list. Yeah, so I know that the Archfey Warlock gets an expanded spell list. I would literally just steal that for this. Yeah. If I had a player that said, I want to do this kind of druid, I'd say, fine, here's your expanded spell list. Here you go. It is arcane and not divine stuff, because that's what sleep and fairy fire and all that calm emotions and shit is. But I'm going to let them have it anyway, right? Yeah. That's It just kind of fits better. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Makes sense. All right, guys. Uh, let's roll some dice. Let's roll for initiative. I like dice. And talk about what you think the strengths of this subclass are. Clicky clack, mad rocks. Bounced it right out. Oh. oh. 16. All right. All right. Well, I'm going first with the 19. Okay, what, what did you say? I'm going last strength? with a 14. The strengths of this, I think you're right with the role play. This is your strategist mm-hmm. level of character. And it feels like when you read the text for it, it is flavorful as far as the stepping between worlds and opening up pathways between this and that and i really like the flavor of it if you are not creative and you're not going to lean into that if you're not one of the kind of players that's gonna i cast a spell and and spectral butterflies come from the tips of my fingers if you're not that kind of player you're not going to get everything you want out of this a lot of flavor relatively useful early features not a whole lot of really um, punchy mechanics yeah so yeah, if I was doing this, I think it would be great in, uh, like, a political intrigue kind of story. Yeah. Like, you know, uh, affecting the townspeople to convince them to do, I don't know. This is going to be more useful in a homebrew yeah. than it will in a, one of the written Yeah, that's yeah. fair, because yeah. they're pretty railroaded as is. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, I think you kind of hit it. I don't think there's that many strengths to this particular subclass. But what it does, it does well. Yeah. Right? It's limited in its strengths, but its strengths are strong. And I think we've pretty much covered those. I'll say this. I know that we've got a Feywild book coming real quick. I wish that they had saved this for that book so that we could get a better feel of what's going on in the Feywild. 
Yeah, mm. fair enough. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, do you think there's any oversights or power imbalances here? Yeah, and I've talked about that. <laughs> I went off. A, I think we kind of kind of went over it. Is there anything else? Insights into role playing the standard base level. No, no. Are there, are there any other o- oversights? Do you guys think? Yeah, no. I don't think so. I think they missed the the fairy level of Fey with it. Yeah. Okay, here's something. They they name drop the gloaming court in this. We don't know what the fuck that is. The only reason we know anything about the Sealy Court is because it's been dropped little hints here and there in flavor text for some monsters. We know there's Sealy and Unsealy. Now we know there's a Gloaming Court. And I think that there's something about a Winter Court as well. We don't have any idea what this shit is. Who is in the court? Give me that. That is the oversight here. Yeah. Normally the judge. I mean, they're the probably going to discuss that with the Fae Wild one. I fucking hope so because it's. it looks like it's going to be about a carnival that that borders on the realm of the Feywild, the material plane. Okay. And it might be adventure paths. I'm not, we're not entirely certain. Um, I'm hoping that it's like the uh, Ravenloft book and it gives us a bunch of really crazy shit to do in the Feywild. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it fleshes out the different realms of the Feywild. Yeah, because there are definitely different sections of it based on the seasons and how time moves and that kind of shit. All right. Well, how would you role play this standard base of this class? Uh, okay, first of all, I was thinking a Kalishtar would be really neat with this. Yeah, of course. I mean, mm-hmm. me too. Yeah, and uh, if not that, a Furbolg would be another good one for sure. this. But this is my I'm going to help you character. I will do everything I can to it. I'm playing Samwise Gamgee with this. To bring it back to Lord of the Rings again, Dave. Yep. Right? Um, but this is the kind of like, we. I, I will protect you. I will heal you. It's all healing and protection. And... And peeking around corners, right? That's what this has to offer. Um, so this is support. We just started a campaign where um, one of our players is a Loxodon um, Twilight Domain cleric. Okay. And she's playing a freaking 300-year-old Loxodon who's just like a grandmotherly type who's just out <laughs> to help everyone. Oh dear, it looks like you yeah. have an owie. Let me help you with that. Yeah, and it's fantastic. I like that for this as well. That uh, Totally where I would go with yeah. this. Yeah, soft-spoken character. Yeah, a little bit. Um, yeah, I think I would go very, uh, for lack of a better term, airhead. Really, like, mind in the clouds, not really paying attention to everything. Speaks very femorally. Yeah. I don't know if I'm using that word right. No, uh, you know, I said like the, the circle of spores is like nose to the ground, crawling on all fours yeah. into the dirt. This one is staring at the clouds, yeah. walking through, walking it's down the It's the daydreamer. Path. Yeah, a yeah. yeah. little bit. Yeah, but I, I do think you're right. It would be a much, very much a support character, you know, um, helping not just physically, but mentally as well. Really trying to like, Build you up, repair damage that people like. I would be writing out a bunch of like catchphrases in like midweek between sessions. There's little little nuggets of wisdom to be, you know, oh, when you're walking through the forest, remember to do and just little fade <laughs> nonsense. Yeah, all right. To, right? Somebody gets hurt and you go over to, to heal them and you just be like, remember next time that you should duck a little bit because it. You know, sometimes we learn in the Feywild that, and like, it's that kind of, it's not quite happy-go-lucky. Yeah. It's just whimsical, right? Okay. Sometimes when we're hurt, we learn the most. Yeah. <laughs> shit like that. I'd write all that out yeah. beforehand. Don't pick your nose on a bumpy road. <laughs> that kind of shit, right? That kind of shit. What yeah. do you got, Dave? I, I feel like, again, this is pretty limited in how you're going to do it. Uh, it the, the, it's not big and open. Uh, it's going to be very specific. 
for this particular subclass. And I think you guys pretty much nailed it. I think we covered it. Sure. Right? Yeah. All right. Is there any other thoughts that you guys have on uh, on these druids or druids in general? Look, Tasha's gave us a couple of extra things we'll talk about next time. Like I, I mentioned wild um, like animal companions. You get that shit now in Tasha's. Um, so I'm excited to circle back to druids again. <laughs> we're not gonna we're not gonna wait quite as long for the next time around. But I don't know, man. These are growing on me a little bit. Mm. I would definitely play a druid in a one shot. I would definitely play a druid for Minds of Fandelver or digging into one of the little adventures in Candlekeep or something like that, as opposed to sinking like, my teeth into a full multi-year campaign yeah you yeah. do it for a quick campaign not a one shot but a quick yeah you know handful of sessions i, I do a three shot or a six shot. somebody wants to try their hand at dming i'll play a druid yeah yeah fair uh all right well because we've been talking about lord of the rings today i do want to mention that at the end of the movie last night i immediately turned to mieka and asked her who was the lord of the rings and she didn't have an answer for me. So I want to roll again, just one last time. Do you guys have an answer? I 100% have an answer. I also have an answer, but I just want to see if we're all on the same page. Uh, I rolled a two. I got a nine. I got an eight. It was the one ring. The one ring is the Lord of the Rings. Yeah, I thought it was just Sauron. Uh, yeah. no, 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 it's not Sauron specifically. It, it is the, the ring itself. Yeah. It's the Lord of, like, the one ring to rule them all. That is the Lord of Rings. But isn't... Sauron essentially the ring. Well, well, his power, his essence is linked to the ring. Yeah. Right? But yeah. Dave is not his beard. But you shave the beard off and Dave becomes a hollow shell of himself. No, but he needs, like... You, he, I need my beard. Yeah. They, he Without needs the it, ring, I'm right? dead. Like, yeah, sure. But, I mean, Dave's beard is a, is a beardly beard that is the beard of beards. No, I'm with Kyle on this one. Like, I think it's Sauron himself. Like, it's, it's not whoever has the ring. It's not Frodo when he's got it. It's none of that crap. It like I do think it generally it like genuinely is Sauron. No, uh, I'd say it's the One Ring, right? Because it starts off there are the nine rings of men, the seven rings of dwarves, the three rings of elves, and the one that rules them all. So the Lord of the Rings is the One Ring. That is, that's where I'm coming from. But who is the Lord of the Lord of the Rings? That's what Sauron, Sauron right? But he's the Lord of the Lord of the Rings. Okay, what's Frodo then? Uh, he's just a really short guy going on a long walk. Yeah. With, Fair enough. With his gardener. <laughs> all right so that's all for our discussion today on druids and apparently lord of the rings uh we've got a lot more ground to cover with lots of other subclasses uh so subscribe or follow and check back regularly to see what inspirations and insights we'll have for you in the future next week we'll be looking at the other full caster with divine magic the cleric because apparently three episodes on clerics so far isn't enough there's never enough. Fuck, there's a lot of clerics. <laughs> anyway, if you'd like to support us, we have a donate button on our website, www.itsamimic.com, as well as a store for some pretty awesome merch. We also rely on word of mouth to get news of the podcast out there to the community. So go please spray paint It's a Mimic or everywhere you can think of, okay? Not really. Yeah, that sounds like it could get us For legal trouble. reasons, don't. <laughs> um, anyway, we're available on iTunes, Spotify, and YouTube, as well as most podcast apps. So thanks again for listening to It's a Mimic, where you never know what you're going to get. This has been an It's a Mimic production. Inquiries, requests, and questions for our mailbags can be sent to info at itsamimic.com. I would like to talk about vulture bees. I just discovered these yesterday, and I am enamored with them. <laughs> yeah, I, it's been the talk of the Discord. Yeah.
So vulture bees, if you don't know what they are, uh, they basically are like regular honeybees, except instead of making regular honey out of pollen, they take dead meat and then turn that into their honey. They make meat honey, which I think is very fun for D&D. Okay, I got a question. So honey is an animal byproduct. Does that make it meat already? Like is honey meat? Like is it a meat product? Uh, yeah, like, like milk is a meat product? Yeah, yeah. I, I don't mean meat, but like is it is it like a like where does that fall? Well, into? it's organic. Is that where you're coming it's from? It's not vegan, no. if that's what you mean. Isn't it? Yeah, cause, no, because no, it's an animal byproduct. I guess. So they so eat all the an pollen an and then they spit out. What food group did you find honey in? Uh, like of the four food groups, is it meat, dairy, vegetable, or grain? Well, it's it's going to be vegetable because it's sugar product, right? I mean, candy canes are not a vegetable. Would it be a grain? Because, I mean, it's made out of pollen. It's, it is kind of grainy. Like, yeah. It's granular sometimes if you let it sit for too long. All yeah, right. Like my, all right, is, is this meat, honey, is it sweet? Like, is it still sugary? Can I put <laughs> no, it in my tea? No, no, no. It is sweet. Because Dan was going off about this before, and he's like, look, you can actually make meat mead from this, like honey mead out of this this meat honey. So you can have essentially fucking alcoholic gravy. Well, I, I saw I saw his comment about alcoholic gravy. Oh jeez. <laughs> I mean, Terry gave me that breakfast gravy and herpes. Well, it's told me he loved me. I like I'm curious if it's edible cuz I feel like it might give you botulism. So I did Google it and yeah. apparently it's edible but it tastes like shit. Okay, well, that's not surprising. Yeah, of course. It's yeah. like rancid meat. Digested digested meat byproduct. Like meat byproduct in general is just relatively off-putting. Yeah. Yeah. But like do they do they like make honey meat combs? Uh, okay, the the actual hive. Oh, yeah, the hive looks gross. Yeah, it is it, creepy. I figured shit. the hive was just like the animal that they're feeding on. No, no, no. They take it back to a hive and it looks like a horror show. Yeah. It is something out of freaking Hellraiser universe. Like, it's gnarly. I love it. Yeah, it looks where, cool. Where are they? Can I find them here? You know, we get hell wasps in D&D. I think they're in Descent into Avernus. That's what I would do. That That's, that's where I'm going with this. Okay, yeah, I like that. Yeah. Welcome to another episode in our conversation on classes. I'm Dave, and with me today are, uh, who are you? Adam and Kyle, okay? Uh, this episode is called, I'm going to start this over again. All right. <laughs> welcome to another episode of our, con welcome, welcome. It's a mimic on Reddit. Uh, if you guys have any questions or anything you'd like to see on here, on the show, because I guess you can't really see anything, um, please feel free to send us any questions uh, or... No, let me try that again. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Hi, guys. Welcome to... No, no, no. <laughs> no, we're partway through. Yeah. Here yet. Okay. Let's see. Let's see. What are we going to say? Just a reminder, you can find us on oh, yeah. blah, blah, blah. You can ask us questions or, or you know send us things at it's a mimic at blah, blah, blah. Uh, also, don't forget there's mailbag questions. You I didn't ask for your life story, Dave. That is not my life story. No, no his life story is far shorter. Yeah. <laughs> Boobs. There it is. Done. Mm. Uh, so much of Grumon. <laughs> Just like mamas. Um. <laughs> That's going after the credits. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
I think that, um... Hold on, let me double check for my mouth say something stupid. Why would you start doing that now? Why don't you suck a dick, bitch? Thanks for listening. Bye.